Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jen Brinkman, David Haney, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Socorro and be inspired. Welcome to the Sanctum Secorum podcast, where we plumb the depths of Appendix N, especially as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. Tonight we'll be reviewing one of the works from the famed Appendix N, as termed by the revered Gary Gygax, and helping you prepare to serve it at your DCC RPG table. I'm Jen Brinkman, with me tonight are David the Bacon Wizard Beatty. Greetings, Podites. And the ever-awesome Bob Brinkman. <laughs> Okay, a little less awesome. And helping us out with this one is the esteemed manly Michael Curtis. Howdy, y'all. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks well, for coming on. Of We're honored. Of course. Uh, you are the most learned guy in this particular subject. Our appendix and selection for this episode is Who Fears the Devil by Manly Wade Wellman. So you are in very good company, sir. So, Bob, why don't you hit us with a synopsis? Certainly. There's a traveling man the Carolina mountain folk call Silver John for the silver strings strung on his guitar. In his wanderings, John encounters a parade of benighted forest creatures, mountain spirits, and shapeless horrors from the void of history with only his enduring spirit, playful wit, and the magic of his guitar to preserve him. Manly Wade Wellman's Silver John is one of the most beloved figures in fantasy, a true American folk hero of the literary age. Well said. All right. Well, I can't take credit for it. It's the back of the book. <laughs> I thought that sounded familiar. So some of the things that really struck us, you know, not related to gaming per se. God, once I dropped out of editor mode on this one, I just let go and said, Grandpa's telling me a story. <laughs> just pretend you were talking to me and having a good conversation with a South Carolina boy. Well, that, that too. Maybe with a little more kudzu, though. But overall, it did feel timeless. It definitely has that American rural fantasy folktale feel. I also enjoyed the Christian overtones because they work. The story on the hills and everywhere with The Carpenter, for example, really kind of hit it for me. It's a great story. It's just that down-home, homespun storytelling. Yeah, I love the use of the language. For once, reading all of these appendix uh, in books, I felt like I was reading a novel that had been uh, written by someone probably down the street from me down here in the <laughs> south. Uh, one particular quote when he was describing a female, the quote is, he sat down on the door log. She ain't such a little daughter. She's six foot, maybe three inches taller than you even. Best looking big woman I ever seen. Brown hair like a wagon full of home cured tobacco. <laughs> Eyes green and bright as a fresh squoze crepe pulp. I mean, you just can't get any better than that. No, I, I, wow. I mean, 
I'm in complete agreement with that. Yeah. In fact, when I was working on the Shutter Mountain, the Chain Coffin stuff, I actually had a composition notebook where I was was just writing down some of the language that Wellman used because I wanted to be able to hit those notes when I was going back and going through this. So I have a whole bunch of quotes and little lines like that. I would so. love to see that book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did you spell it like David would? <laughs> <laughs> No, I stuck close to how Wellman spelled things, which is actually one of the reasons why I had to make a decision when I was working on it, how exactly I was going to spell hollow. That I actually went back and forth on that. Oh, yeah. Because it could be hollow or it could be holler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I stuck with a more contemporary spelling of it. One of the things that I loved just reading it was the way he described all these areas. You could tell that he genuinely had a sincere love for the Appalachian Mountains and all the folklore that comes along with that. It was really cool. Maybe you want to buy a guitar and just kind of maybe start rambling in the mountains. Let you <laughs> disappear. <laughs> Manly Dave Beatty's going to start playing a guitar here in a couple of weeks. Any of his stories that you read set in the mountains are fantastic and tend to have a little creep factor. I know the first story by Manly Wade Wellman I ever read was The Devil is Not Mocked, which is Nazis in Transylvania encountering Dracula. And that was creepy, too. And it gets the mountain vibe just right. And he's really good with that sense of isolation that's not overly oppressive. He was writing at Weird Tales magazine. And when Lovecraft and Howard went on to further their career and then ended up passing, he ended up one of the mainstays over at Weird Tales. So his writing had a chance to continue evolving. Yeah, because the pulps really gave people a chance to just write and write and write and become sort of a mainstay in the genre. So this brings us to our guest, Mr. Curtis. You have undoubtedly read more of Manley's works than anyone in the community. Do you have any thoughts you'd like to share on the material before we move on to the gaming side of things? My thoughts on Wellman, and I think this is one of the reasons that, I mean, David brought it up a little bit earlier, is that he does such a tremendous job of establishing place, of describing the world and really drawing in the reader, much like a really good judge or storyteller or game referee does, which makes him very gameable, thankfully for us and for people who are trying to adapt his work for another medium such as the role-playing game. So that's what I have to say about him at this moment. I'm sure I'll have more to say as we roll along. So, <laughs> That's actually a good point, though, because I, mean, I didn't really think of it like that, but reading some of those descriptions, it almost was like you were reading an adventure or an encounter. It was very well described, a lot of the things that were in the, some of the stories I read. And with minimal language sometimes. Yeah. I know that I shamelessly lifted one of his stories and dropped it into my <gasps> first ed D&D campaign. No. When my party <laughs> encountered Mr. Unselm and Ugly Bird. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> no love there, sorry. <laughs> well, it, it does, though. It, it does translate very nicely. Well, and, and he almost makes the Appalachian area feel like 1800s Old West. It really does have that timeless thing to it. Yeah. Even though the setting is modern, right. the, uh, the Appalachian mountains still have that timeless feel because everything is so withdrawn from society as a whole. You can have someone that fought in the Korean War walking into a town that's just wood cabins and homespun, and so it does translate timelessly. Yeah. That's what I was trying to say. (laughs) Timeless is a very good word to describe these stories. Yes. So now that we have tackled the overall feel of the writing itself... There are many aspects from 
this work that we can use at the table in DCC RPG. I, I know it's going to be difficult, but let's try to exclude the stuff that's already appeared in published material, because we'll get to that. So, Bob, I know you love listing stuff that can be statted. And there's so many stories in this book, so I've sort of tried to focus, because otherwise this would be a very long show. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ugly Bird, the first story, has Mr. Unselm, who's kind of the witch, warlock, hoodoo man character. He would be a lot of fun, I think, to stat up. There's a story, The Desrick on Yandro, which is filled with those classic homespun monsters like the Taller and the Flats and the Bamet, all these weird creatures like the skim which just skims along through the air the flat is kind of this moving carpet that creeps up on people and, and the behinder <laughs> but you you statted the behinder the the behinder does appear in the material yeah. uh, you called him give me a second here you called him the hide behind yes ah, <laughs> sneaky very yes. clever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, after I went through everything that I wanted to stat, I then had to comb through all of Mike's work again and say, nope, 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 already done, already done, because yeah. <laughs> you are a writing completist. <laughs> I thought it was kind of neat that in the story Vandy Vandy, there is a variation on a hold person spell. Right. Oh. One other has one other that is a demon who could be statted as a monster or a patron. You could do Mountain Giants from Walk Like a Mountain, the character Rafe Enoch, who's got biblical giant blood in him. And my absolute favorite is from Old Devlin's Was Awaitin', the character of Devilance Hatfield, who would of make course. a great patron as opposed to a pig. As <laughs> I, you know, I just want to say, uh, Mike, is there anything that you would like to say, having made devil ants into a hog in the chain coffin, is there anything you'd like to say to our webmistress, Lynn Hatfield? No. I had no prior knowledge of anything. I, was, I, I, work, in, I work in my magical cocoon, surrounded only by Manly Wayne Wellman books. So. Well, to be fair, he's covered in hair and he's mean, so I suppose it works. As long as we get, like, a McCoy dog later or something. (laughs) (laughs) I had, had, at the time I was writing it, I had no clue of anybody's names uh, who may or may not be appearing on the show, so don't worry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Bob's just stirring up stuff. Yeah, that's what he does. Well, so why not stat the guitar itself? Oh, Oh, I mean, John's guitar... They go into detail in every single story that it is strung with silver strings as opposed to steel, and that silver has such a big impact against many of the people he comes across in each location that he's visiting. It seemed like a very precious metal to the people in the stories, like they really, it was a lot of value as far as supernatural, and there was a lot of mystique to the, the whole thing. Right. I tried to bring that actually into the Shutter Mountain stuff. There is a, I do, there's like one paragraph where I do bring about the importance of silver to like the Shud folk and why it is considered a very precious uh, metal to them. We did try to address that. I don't know how great of a job I did, but <laughs> at least I played a lip service. So there you go. With the impact that music makes in, in these stories, I think the guitar and even the mouth harp would, oh, yeah. would be cool to stat up. You could just stat up an entire jug band. <laughs> <laughs> M- M- 
Emmett Otter. Yeah, I was going to say, let me go watch that one special again. <laughs> I've just watched Emmett Otter, actually. It's actually in the bibliography of the Shane Coffin. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> well done, <Yeah>. sir. <laughs> and at the risk of statting something that already exists, it would be interesting to do a full in-game write-up for Long Lost Friend by right. John George Homan, the tome that is constantly referred to. Ah. But it does exist. The text of it is available online. We'll have a link to that. It's real interesting reading. Well, it's I would say I'd say it's interesting, but it's also a lot of really like you you have to be kind of in an esoteric mindset really to get into it. It is a compendium of knowledge from all over the place. So, uh, and the organizational structure is completely yeah, there is none. There is that. It's like the uh, original D&D book version of an occult manual. There's no sense of rhyme or reason to it. <laughs> Some of the incantations or the wardings and things like that that are in it, though, go straight into the folk magic rites and the old songs. And does It does play nicely. It would mm-hmm. be something that could easily be dropped into any setting in DCC, really. It's just that simple hearth magic. Right. So did you have any other things you wanted to stat up, Dave? Well, I think Bob already touched upon uh, character Wraith Enoch from Walk Like a Mountain. I thought he was pretty cool. He kind of reminded me of the old, what were the giants uh, in the old D&D? Like the Storm yeah, Giants? Yeah, Storm Giants. Thank you, Bob, for saving me there. <laughs> he he kind of seemed like a descendant of a Storm Giant. I liked his ability to call down the lightning and the range. So that was kind of cool to me. And from Can These Bones Live, another... I guess giant-sized skeleton uh, I thought was pretty cool that was pulling trees from the ground and swinging them at John. That sounds positively horrifying. Yeah, uh, and you mentioned the mouth harp is possibly being statted up, and I think the mouth harp was actually related to the little black train. Yeah. Um, the ghost right. train. Yes, it was. Yeah, so that actually, you know, I was thinking of the ghost train could actually be somewhat of a curse, maybe a, a creature or something that takes form, and maybe that mouth harp actually could be tied into that, so... Uh, other than that, I didn't see a lot. Um, I didn't read all the stories, unfortunately. I did see mention a few times of Conjure Men, and that made me think of possibly doing a class that might be kind of cool, using some hearth magic or hexes and curses. And the Night Trees, I saw that mentioned a couple of times in the stories. Yeah, which are, yeah, know, that's but, those those were fun ones. Yeah. I'm not sure. Were the Night Trees in your supplement? I slipped them into Tales from the Shutter Mountains Volume 1. Okay. I was thinking I had seen that, but I wasn't <laughs> sure. So. But hey, that's great. That means you read it from Wellman's work and said, hey, that reminds me of this thing that Curtis wrote. <laughs> yeah, totally. If we're talking about uh, Who Fears the Devil, if we're talking about the Planet Stories version, I mean, the, you, there's actually the one, I think it's just the one or two, the proto-Silver John stories, like the Frog Father. That's, that's a great little one, which I did not manage to kind of incorporate into it, so. Huh. I did go specifically to When Did She Wander, which was noted to be the last story of Silver John that Wellman wrote, mm-hmm. and Becky Till Hoppard, the one that was hanged, Yep. Mostly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to the point where her neck just stretched all the way out. That was so, so creepy. So they <laughs> took her off the tree, put up a headstone to deflect, and took the old bitty home and pretty much balanced her head in place and kept her there for, what was it, 120-something years? The only thing that made someone suspicious was finding the teeth and belt buckle of her former love by the fire. 
the rest of him was gone because she had absorbed him for his power to stay alive. For, for his life force. Creepy. I thought that story hit a really interesting note in that she's the big bad of the story. Just like in a lot of folk tales, they have that Achilles heel. There's that easy way that they can be defeated. Uh, it's the same sort of thing that Frank Albaum was doing with the Wicked Witch of the West when he was trying to create Oz as American fairy tales. You know, the Wicked Witch of the West and water. And all Becky Till Hoppert had to do was kind of be moved suddenly and her broken neck that was just sort of balanced, unbalanced. Well, to be fair, Cray Sawtell, the witch from the story The Spring, was dissolved in water. She, <laughs> she yes. went out just like the Wicked Witch. <laughs> so there's, again, that fairy tale feel. These aren't villains that you go toe-to-toe with and just beat down. These are villains that have that weakness, but if you don't hit it, right. you're in real trouble. But just the image of leaving someone's teeth and a belt buckle on the hearthstone. Am I the only one that pictured the DCC belt buckles? I mean... Maybe <laughs> uh, <laughs> not. I yeah, didn't, but now I am. <laughs> there's, there's an Easter egg. We'll, 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 that, we'll try to we'll fit that into Tales from Shutter Mountain, Shutter Mountain Volume 2. We'll... <laughs> awesome! <laughs> No, it's actually, it's funny that you bring up the thing about the water weakness of the witch. There's some great onomatopoeia for you. Uh, a, 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 no, that's all right. I'll literally this. Um, but it, one of the things that I think is interesting and which makes Wellman so evocative is that a lot of the stuff that he's writing about, I mean, there's these supernatural elements, but it is actually kind of tied into real world folklore. The fact that Silver John's guitar is such an effective weapon against the kind of the supernatural is not the guitar itself. It is, again, the, the silver strings and silver is one of the classic elemental metals which repels evil or it's good against werewolves and it's you know anti-witchcraft and all the rest of that and then the fact that you know the witch bomb was was dealing on the same you know the idea of that water is a purification source you know uh, vampires can't cross running water that kind of thing so i think you you couldn't go wrong if you were kind of trying to stat up or or delve into that to kind of draw upon the same real world folklore. Oh yeah, in fact, there's actually I forget the name of the title, but it was the real short one where there's actually a vampire. Uh, it's one of the short interludes in there. I think there's something about the fact that Silver John actually has to behead him because I don't think the stake works. I might be misremembering though. So that's a really good point though that it does draw on the different folklores, and you might get the wrong piece of information. Right. I like that. He gets playful with the folklore too in uh, one of the interludes where the guy is trying to turn pebbles into gold and he says, you know, I can do it as long as you don't think about a blue monkey. <laughs> he does it and nothing happens. Like, okay, who was thinking of a blue oh, monkey? <laughs> and so Silver John, while everyone else is thinking of blue monkeys, he memorizes it. And so he does the same thing and tells people to turn it to gold if they don't think right. about a red fish. And then he opens it up. Does anybody <laughs> think of a blue monkey? No. And there it is. It's gold. And so that's Sometimes there's that playful twist, too, which is really a lot of Just fun. Just thinking about that one again, there's a trap or a puzzle or something lurking in there, but my mind isn't wrapping around it right then. <laughs> if there's only way, if you can convince the players to think about something, the wrong thing. They can't get through it unless... Oh, yeah. So, uh, Oh, that's devious. Yeah. I like it. It's a, it's a little late and just post past the holiday season, but I, I can feel the mental fingers kind of reaching and trying to find purchase on that idea just failing at the moment. So I give that one up to the ages. <laughs> Somebody better than me can come up with it. 
Well, with all of the magic having such an impact in all of these stories and themes, that would lead us to our props and audio department. Mr. Beatty? Well, I'm a big fan of the Spotify, so of course I start digging for things, and I didn't so much like with the our last show, I found some accurate gypsy music, I think, for our show, but this time around I actually found a lot of modern songs, and a lot of times with me, it's just a, a song will put a vision in my head, or it'll, it'll take me somewhere, and I started finding a lot of songs that I think kind of fit the whole feel of the Silver John story. So they are a little modern, but I made a playlist for, for you guys out there if you want to check it out. And I think it would make some pretty good background music. It's a little bit of folklore to it, but it's also got some modern sound to it. But as far as props goes, I was thinking if you were taking the uh, Silver John stories and dropping them into a DCC-ish campaign, songs play a very prominent role in all these stories. So I was thinking the craft stores sell floral foam as well as styrofoam. And you can also come up with a song or a ballad and write it on this foam and take some tools, like a hot tool that you could actually burn into the foam and then paint it over like a piece of stone. Like a um, soldering actually, iron or something? Yeah, you could paint it over and then dry brush it into a, a gray and hand that to a player as like a, a song that, that they found in a cave or something that has some kind of magic to it so i think that would be kind of cool. oh wow charms and trinkets you know obviously there's a lot of folklore here so hexes and spells and curses you could very easily go to a craft store and pick up some things to make some little spooky trinkets to actually represent some in-game effects and just hand them to your player and let them kind of hang on to them and add a little bit of a realistic element to things oh, but those yeah. are some of the things i came up with if you want to go whole hog, actually, there's one of the magical items which is included in there. It's kind of like the snake walking stick. Oh, yeah. That's an actual thing. Uh, Dieter Zimmerman, he was actually visiting, I think, his mom, and he actually saw those for sale. Um, oh, in, that's and he, awesome. He took some pictures and sent them to me, and I was like, okay, we've got to make this <laughs> yeah. a magic item. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Speaking of music, there's actually there's an artist. It's either Joe Bellacourt or John Bellacourt. Uh, he actually does an entire album, which is re- it's a recording of the songs that appear in the Silver John stories. Oh, oh that very is cool. Too cool. That's Joe Bethencourt. He passed away about a year ago. He was a Renaissance fair entertainer, and he was also a, a folk artist in Arizona. Right. At the last GaryCon, somebody came up and actually gave me that CD. And it was oh. one of those moments, like, you know, everything was going on at GaryCon, and we, he came up to me and said, you know, thank you very much. Here, take this. And I was like, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you. But I, I you know, in the chaos of it, I missed his name. So if you're out there and you're listening to this, please send me an email <laughs> or just contact somebody and let me know who you are because I feel really bad because I love it. So thank That's you very awesome. much. <laughs> so that's why I know it exists. And, you know, we were going to ask you, is is there anything in particular you were listening to while writing The Chained Coffin? Actually, I had a collection, I think it might have even been organized by the Lomaxes. I think it was actually called The Art of the Recording, and it was a four-disc set that was all have to do with uh, basically mountain music. I mean, everything from gospel to bluegrass, some stuff was spoken word. You know, there was it was kind of divided into uh, various subject matters. Sounds up Bob's Alley. Was that the Lomax art? archives? I found the Alan Lomax archives are online going back to like 1946 and you can now search them by genre by location. I went through for this show and I pulled together lists from the Appalachian states like Kentucky, Mississippi, Tennessee, North Carolina, as well as some um, just music, banjo, bluegrass, jug band, and we'll have links to all that on the site as well. So they really have it broken down that minutely? Yes, because it starts by country, because he 
he did recordings in Scotland, Ireland, all over the world. Gotcha. So then you click on USA, and then you can go by state, and then sometimes by region. We also, because Joe Bethencourt had a couple songs online, we've got Nine Yards of Other Cloth and Silver John. Oh, cool. And there's other stuff that I came across. I'm going to mention something that's probably going to e- either make Michael wince or disown me. So there is this movie based on the Silver John story. It's called <laughs> The Legend of Hillbilly John. <laughs> that there is. I have I have never seen the whole thing. I've seen clips of it on YouTube. The, the best part of it, in my opinion, is the opening song by Hoyt Axton. Oh, God. The, the Devil, Song of the Defy. Mm. And... Uh, to me, that's a great song that sort of sets things. Woody Guthrie recorded Little Black Train. Right. It's, a, it's an old song. Man, Wellman played with lyrics and changed them for the story, but it is an old folk song. Mm-hmm. Someone else out there recorded Vandy Vandy, an artist, Edward Mater Flacos. Bless so you. So there's some, <laughs> some really good stuff out there music-wise. And because it's so integral to the stories, I think. You can't have a setting like the Silver John stories and not load it with music. And it goes all the way back to your know, long-lost friend has the prayers that become lyrics it becomes songs and some of those really are at this point old folk songs awesome that was that was my thought there what i was thinking of is called art of field recording volume one that was what i was listening to that and lead bellies in the pines which, oh lead belly nice. yeah, which is uh reflected i think that shows up in nine yards of cloth but yeah awesome. ever since the title will the circle be unbroken was brought mm-hmm. up in the preface it has been going through my head for the past two or three days consistently. <laughs> <laughs> In my case, specifically by a group called Seeley Court, that it was all part of a charity album put together to raise money for the Hurricane Katrina relief. The Americana music, Manly Wade Wellman is to that as Liam Clancy is to bringing Irish music across the ocean and bringing it back to the Irish people in the same regions. So the the fact that I've got the Renaissance versions of these songs that are mentioned by Wellman's writing, just, okay, yeah, we, we certainly have that unbroken circle in my little head, and please someone make it go away. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. I should bring up one other thing, and I take no responsibility for this should you go down this horrible path, but if you're running a game and say you have access to or know somebody who can procure, say, white lightning of some sort, and you can introduce <laughs> that like to the... I used to make. <laughs> <laughs> And, per- yeah. and perhaps maybe if you, uh, you know, you could put some sort of, I don't know, some sort of additive, some sort of flavoring or something, some sort of clear version that you don't know, that wouldn't affect the coloration of it. And maybe if somebody took a drink of that, it could be maybe witch liquor and <laughs> all sorts of horribleness yeah. could happen in game and out. So, you know. I would say out of game, you could just take a shot every time you lose a hit point and guarantee it a lot of horrible things will happen. Mm. Right, yeah, exactly. You go blind. <laughs> Take that stamina you, damage. <laughs> you, you can either spell burn or you can drink this. <laughs> oh, oh, man! If we weren't playing in a public place, <laughs> oh, that'd be fun. 
I, I think I think is it is it moonshine kind of now somewhat legal in certain places? It is. You can get licensed now for white liquor. The ban on it has been lifted. You still have to jump through all the hoops, you know, legally with the ATF to be able to produce it. Right. But you can as a matter of fact, when we go up to GaryCon, we always stop at the Piggly Wiggly because they have a great liquor selection <laughs> and they have a shelf of different types of white lightning and flavored moonshines and it's I, I it's fear certainly... it's becoming trendy they're, they're uh, even selling it at Disney it is so, so the hipster DCC yeah. fans yeah. can get it from the shelf but the real hardcore <laughs> stuff have to get it from a guy up in the mountains <laughs> yeah that comes in like a gallon plastic jug <laughs> Doug Kovacs right. will be selling it in the back of Gary. Remember, remember <laughs> light it on fire before you drink it. Goodman Games does not endorse. The <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what we said. You know, at the friendly local gaming store where they don't have a liquor license, it's probably not the best place to bring in such imbibements. Go drink it out in the parking lot. Um, <laughs> but, you know, once again, we're covering a book that has a food or beverage related. So while it's not Adderkorn... Yeah. Now we've got witch liquor. All right. Nice. This is getting silly. We've getting? got... <laughs> onto our module inspirations. Ooh. Items that appear in the novel that uh, we've seen before in publication, perhaps? Let's exclude the Shutter Mountains for just a minute, because we actually have a couple other crossovers, I think. My favorite, and I say favorite tentatively because I've fallen for it, was the use of gems and and human greed as bait comes up quite often through the stories where demons appear and they're throwing out these huge gemstones trying to get people to take them so they can drag them to hell. And I immediately thought of The One Who Watches From Below where my face was dragged across the walls <laughs> and, and I spent a session, two sessions, wearing a mask. Uh, <sighs> Thanks, Job. You know, that little connection really sprang to me. But there was another one that came to mind just because of its title. There is a holiday module written by a Mr. Curtis. Whoever that guy is. Called The Old God's <laughs> Return. And I'm really wondering if that title was inspired, at least in part, by The Old God's Waken, the Silver John novel. All right. I will reveal, as far as I know, nobody outside a very close circus. Cir- a close circus, yes. A very close circus of friends. <laughs> Knows this. Um, actually, the uh, that is not. Although it's, it may be indirectly, but if it is, I don't know about it. It is, but however, it is actually a Blue Oyster Cult reference. It is the oh. old gods return possessive. Oh. Uh, I just removed the apostrophe because basically it fit perfectly. And I try to I try to squeeze in Blue Oyster Cult references whenever I can. So awesome. And quite a few of our listeners are Blue Oyster Cult fans, mm-hmm. and they had a heyday when we were covering Elric. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yes, that's where the that's where old God's return came from, not from the Manly Way Wellman. If the song itself got its title from the Wellman work, which is possible, I, I can't establish a provenance of that. So okay, well that's what I had. What about, about you, what Jay? about you, Jeff? <laughs> uh, well, right off the start, Oh Ugly Bird, which I think is the first John novel or or yes. story, the Ugly Birds, the Gralistrix in Silent Nightfall. Oh, those creepy owl things. Uh-huh. Immediately, the minute it was mentioned, I was like, oh god, not these things again. Daniel, I, I think your work has scarred me a little bit. Moving on, more of Daniel Bishop's work. Uh, in The Little Black Train, at the very beginning, I saw in Doni Karawan, the 
woman that this revolves around. I saw so many aspects of like Hole in the Sky and the Imperishable Sorceress and even Prince Charming Reanimator because you have the female figure who just stands there and says, this is how things are going to go and this is what you're going to do now. And I really had that feel especially when she started trying to put on the allure. Also in that one, I had that, uh, Bob, Theater of the Hammed, the disbelief rating. Oh, well, she didn't do very well on that, but yeah. Uh. And I don't know if it was disbelief or just trying to rework the magic of the music again, but the little black train ended up going the other direction, and that really hit me uh a chord with me there. Um, I also noticed that in that one we get a reference to a song called Sour Wood Mountain and I was thinking hmm Sour Wood, Sour Springs, that's a nice connection. (laughs) That may have unconsciously been there. Yeah. But like I said I was I was writing down you know notes on a woman's use of language so I might have uh, I might have slipped that in. It wasn't intentional it wasn't like ah I will just change this but uh, but it probably snuck up on me. Other connections I saw in uh, Where Did She Wander, obviously Prince Charming Reanimator on that one, and uh, one of the companions to the Chained Coffin stuff, the woeful caves under Yander Mountain. Right. Huge similarity on that one. And also a bit of the Seventh Pit of Cesarecon. There's an aspect of the remains that, uh, I, I don't want to give too much away about Harley's work. The imagery really drove that home for me. And as you walk into the Hoppered household, you're shown a statue that looks kind of like a a fat demon with horns, with emeralds for eyes, and the whole family has the green eyes. And I couldn't help but think of Into the Demon Idol, the one that Joe wrote. Yeah. And they pray to it every day. To be fair, that description very well could have inspired the art that went on to be the player's handbook. Cart, horse, yeah, I get it. There was uh, the fourth one that I read, my little bonus story, uh, was The Spring. The one where Silver John found water, or dug up a spring and found water to heal his friend with. And it just kind of took on that healing property. And there's the resident witch who wants a part of it. She keeps trying to buy him out or be a partner with him or finally trying to kick him out to take the whole spring over. She wanted control of that. And the religion versus religion aspect on that really, really reminded me of Jewels of the Carnifex because my religion is better than yours and we're the ones that should stand this ground. This property should yeah. be ours. Hmm. I like that. And that particular story uh, was brought into two of the tales of the Shutter Mountains. <laughs> I, the, uh. the grave pool was not lost on me, nor was the Witch Man mm. of Dark Weather Mountain. I have to say, I mean, obviously there's the unconscious connection of it. I was trying to do something in the Wellman style, but I have to say a a lot of those cases, like the idea of a healing pool or some sort of, you know, that power with the water. I mean, that's almost, that's universal. I mean, if if anything, I think I was tapping a little bit more into uh, Stephen King's Pet Cemetery with one of them. That's fair. Because I think the, the one of the reasons that I use the term spoiled, uh, the, the, you know, they're the spoils in the Shutter Mountain, because I always yeah. love the line from uh, Pet Cemetery is like that, that ground has gone sour. 
And I, oh, yeah. I, I always think that's a great kind of evocative term, like something has gone wrong. And just the idea of called earth sour, or earth spoiled, you know, ah. something you don't really see as being, you know, something that doesn't have like a shelf life of that. You more want to get the idea like that the ground is no good or the ground is the ground is poor or the ground is exhausted. Hence the uh, sour springs. Yeah, spoil or sour. Okay. Exactly, spoil or sour is is more obviously something is something unnatural has occurred to the ground. So, um, so I think I drew a little bit more on that than necessarily um, you know uh, the spring story. But it, in that story, they're also casting signs with the Bible. You know, flipping open the book and put your finger on something, and that's what they draw inspiration from, and it's what bolsters them against something that's scary. And that you could pull that you could pull tarot cards. Piece. Mm -hmm. I, it's no different than than drawing the tarot cards too. That really is. That's a traditional divination form. Is is flipping open the pages of the Bible. So, so that's also a traditional way to write adventures too. I just, <laughs> yeah, I, I I never know like where I. I mean, it's, it's a problem. Is I can't read just normally anymore I, I always carry I, I really I always have a notebook close at hand and you know if it's whether it's a word or if it's a phrase or, or like an idea that like a, an author kind of came up and just discarded or just passed by I was like wait a minute wait a minute there's something we could do there let's, let's take that idea so I mean that's basically what writing is half the time just you know flipping over a book and just seeing what will uh what will what will launch something from there? Hey, I'm noticing that more and more that's how Bob runs his sandbox games too. He'll flip open a monster manual and go, "Oh, here's a monster. Okay, mm -hmm. the, and this will be today's adventure." How the hell do you do that? <laughs> well, you just you just need something. To, you need a, a flimsy hook to hang an idea on, and if it's you know if it'll last for four hours, you're set. So. What about you, David? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, Jen just kind of blew it out of the park. It, honesty, it, uh, this portion, it's my job, sir. It's a lot like you with your music and props, and you were all over that. Oh, man. whatever. No, uh, the the one thing that came to my mind was the the Witch of Whitfield. Oh. Uh, which was Brave Halfling Presses, one of their little adventures. Yeah. It's got that feel. When I was reading the uh, the Silver John stories, it, that folklore kind of curses and backwoods kind of thing. Well, the Witch of Whitfield kind of has that little small farming community. And one of the things I think a, a lot of Silver John stories revolved around little communities in between the hollows of the mountains. And uh, there's a witch in the adventure who, uh, she meets a, a kind of a unfavorable demise but she's not altogether taken out so she uses her guile to take possession of a young female and commence to ruining everybody's lives so it just kind of it had a little bit of a feel to the stories when i was going back oh, and reading definitely them. oh ugly bird yeah a, a well, couple that, of them that setting is just ripe to convert for a shutter mountains campaign Exactly. Very much so. so that, that's my only contribution for the modulus. That's okay. You did a lot earlier. It's all good, man. Well, they... you, you get a pass just because out of the four of us, you're the most geographically well best situated here to be discussing this. So. I say that as I drink uh, cheer wine. Yeah. <laughs> Bless your heart. Yeah. Well, that's going to bring us to our featured module and setting, really, for the show which will be the Chained Coffin and, of course, the Shutter Mountain Surroundings by Michael Curtis. That's and, me. Yeah. <laughs> and I noticed that, yeah, almost all of them take place in the small town or the small trade outposts, which is pretty much where all of Wellman's settings are. At this point, we could nitpick 
all the little similarities in here. Well, I mean, there's, the, I, I will say yes. Obviously, you know, I, the, the the goal was is to kind of adapt, do like an unofficial adaptation of at least at least try to get the feel of Wellman. This is obviously not the official Manly Wade Wellman version of DCC. You know, <laughs> we haven't licensed it yet. That's all. <laughs> not yet. No, no. We're working yet. on that. No, we have yeah. Wade Wellman classics. <laughs> Um, no, uh, but it, actually a lot of it comes with just uh, a simple simple fact of geography. I was writing based on my own experiences in the Catskill Mountains, which, you know, technically is still part of the Appalachian chain. I mean, it's just the, the Yankee version of it. But, you know, when it comes to kind of, you know, secluded mountains, it's, it's almost universal, no matter whether you're talking about North Carolina or New York. Um, so I like Wellman, I had my own personal experiences that I was able to kind of draw upon. And, uh, and that's where I guess, I guess I'll, we were both well-grounded factually, uh, giving us a good uh, foundation to build upon. And I, th I have to say one of the things that I'm, I'm most happy about the chain call from the Shutter Mountain stuff is that I get, you know, people who, you know, who actually, you know, live and this is their experience. This is, you know, this is their life. They have relatives or, you know, what have you. And they're like, you did just such a, an excellent job of kind of capturing that feel. And I was like, hey, not bad for the New Yorker. Huh? You know, I was just, you know, that was, <laughs> that was my biggest fear going into it. You know, whether this would sound, well, why not go musically? Whether would I would hit all the right notes. And apparently I guess I did all right. So. I can't complain about that. I'm, that's what I'm most happy it's about. What I really enjoyed when I went through the book and I'm making all my notes, what would I stat? What would I want to take to a game? And several of those things are already there in the material. Ugly Bird, I'm pretty sure, is the giant buzzard that shows up. I thought the idea of a silver key locking a door to keep ghosts out was really neat. It's already in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, so neat. Her, the ancients, the creatures that were inside the mine, guarding the right. mine. Well, those are the abandoned. Those are in the companion. <laughs> oh, sin eating. What a great. Oh, it's right there in the companion. Right. All of the notes that really struck me the strongest, things that I really wanted to be able to bring to the table and put into a game, you hit my highlight reel. <laughs> and I thought that was so great that I want. Oh, it's right there. I want this. It's right there. It was, for me, a lot of fun just seeing all that there right and I, I mean again i think the reason that it, it hits such a strong note is because i'm not ripping off wellman i'm not like oh he came up with this idea let's great let's take this like we're coming from the same spring of ideas like the behinder oh yeah yeah i mean the, the behinder is a class i mean that's a lumberjack uh <laughs> monster from you know oh, that's, definitely yeah i mean so this americana folklore that you know we're both drawing on and it's like okay it resonates w uh, with us whether or not we're aware of it just as being americans we don't have the greatest folklore you know as, as a nation you know in the history of the world but you know the stuff that we do have i guess it has a certain resonance uh that we can pick up on because whether it's something that you know we, we've picked up subconsciously or because hey we know of paul bunyan and babe the blue ox because <laughs> i mean that's just that's americana kind of all goes back to the reason why i wanted to use wellman as a setting is because all too often fantasy is kind of like pseudo western european medieval era and <laughs> there's not a lot of what we could call like american fantasy just because we are such a young nation anything that you know unless we want to go something with you know american indian or central american you know that kind of stuff uh which has a history to it but waspy white folk america the only <laughs> stuff we have is basically the stuff we brought over and Wellman is, I mean, drawing a lot on Scotch-Irish because that's, you know, that's the mountain folk. Oh, definitely. The entire Appalachian Sound is essentially Scotch-Irish. Right, right. So the Manly Wade Wellman stuff and, 
you know, the chain coffin shutter mounts, it really hits a particular niche, I think, that is very underserved, which mm-hmm. is, hey, this is the stuff that I remember reading about when I was a kid in school, and it's just been sort of abandoned, and here it is just lying there, pick it up, dust it off, and oh my god, it's great. I've had good feedback from people from across the pond in, in Europe who kind of dig the chain coffin because it's such an unusual setting for them. I mean, because yeah. it's kind of returning the favor. I mean, we're so used to like, oh, man, they have like castles and you know all this history and stuff. And what do we have? We have Abraham Lincoln was born in a log cabin. Yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> So, so they're reading this stuff and they're like, wow, you know, like weird behind monsters and weird witchcraft and, and a tree and a plant that looks like a house. And if you go in, it'll eat you, you know, I mean, that kind of <laughs> stuff. You know? So, um, so it's, it's nice to kind of exchange, you know, to, to, to pay back, uh, you know, cause we've been ripping them off for, you know, for whatever. So, you know, I love the fact that it doesn't have to be a medieval setting either. If you want to incorporate yeah. you know, a, a, an early it, stage of firearms, you can. I had to kind of just go along with what we've established with like DCC, but there's so, like, I so wanted to have a ghost train in there, but I really couldn't swing it. Well, yeah, because next you got Baba Yaga's house running along on chicken legs following you, and yeah, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> but it would also be easy if someone wants to run something in more of that setting. There's enough firearms rules out there. It would be easy enough to bring this forward a little bit and drop, you know, anything from a musket to just a long rifle. Right. I want to do stuff with it, you know, kind of outside of the established Ballywick. Like, I've had ideas to, to work in, uh, you know, like the, like the coal mine monopolies and stuff and have the evil evil land barons, the whole idea, you know, I sold my soul to the company store thing. Like, I really want to do stuff with that. And, uh, you know, so I have my copies ah. of, you know, Black Powder, Black Magic. And I yeah. Have, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm going to try to get myself a, a new copy of the, the Shutter Mountain map and stuff. I, I may take this on tour this coming year. But if, it depends if I get out of my current workload. But um, but yeah, because I mean, I want to take that. I mean, you guys know that I'm you know I'm a fan of Lovecraft too, so I like that. You know, I like that era. Uh, you know, a more modern era, and I'm trying to kind of step away from the elves and dwarves and fairies and all the rest of that stuff, and, and continue more along with this idea of you know Americana, uh, fantasy Americana idea. But uh, but we'll see. Yeah, gee, who would think that you would write something without elves and dwarves? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like another project we're working on. Uh, but, but yeah, but uh, yeah, you know, I have I have plans, things I'd like to do. That's that's why I'm very happy. We have the Tales of the Shutter Mountain Volume One, and we have the at least without ups, update, you know, upsetting the the numeration, I can still technically do nine more. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That would be awesome. I gotta say, Moon Ricket Bridge is probably one of my favorite things of yours that I've ever read, Mike. Ah, uh, thank you. I like that one a lot. Every now and then, I kind of get close to almost art, and I think I almost did that with Moon Ricket Bridge. So that that uh, was pretty awesome. It's been so cool. I've kind of been holding it to my chest and not letting Bob read it, just because uh, I I want to be <laughs> able to run it for him and and surprise him with with the gracefulness of it. Right. Well, thank you. Uh, again, goes perfectly with the setting, and yeah, I, I kind of just want to dump the current campaign and start a new one here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. There's just there's so much neat stuff, and I think what really strikes me as as unique is everything Shutter Mountains is written by you. There's no there's no additional authors getting it. It's all it's it's yeah. your child. And it shows because there's not just a a theme that runs through it. There's a consistency on a very 
root level right. that it's it's coming from one wellspring and it all blends together. It is a blessing and a curse. I mean, it's definitely yeah. a double-edged sword. Uh, I mean, I would have loved to be able to foist off some of the work like uh, the Purple Planet, but uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I just I, I kind of approached doing it. A lot of the reasons that that happened the way it was is because not I mean Wellman wasn't really as well known in fantasy circles as you know Howard which you know Purple Planet is a lot of Howard there's a lot of Dune you know there's there's elements there which you know the average kind of person who has been a fan of fantasy and science fiction could able would be able to pick up where Manly Way Wellman you really have to have like an eclectic knowledge of not only Wellman himself but you know uh, Americana and a little bit of bluegrass and gospel and the Appalachian region so it was either I could either try to put together like a big style document trying to explain where I'm going with this or just do it all myself and um <laughs> It, well, it was one of those cases. Like we had a deadline to hit for the uh, for the Kickstarter, uh, so it was like, okay, uh, I'll let me put on art of the field recording, volume one, and let's get started. So, I guess we could wrap that up then. Uh, for our listeners, we would love to see what you create based on the books we've covered. Uh, please submit your creations to us at thehub at sanctum.media or even via social media. We're on G Plus and Twitter, and we'll be happy to post them on the site with our previous show's material and even get them into a future issue of our companion. And as always, if you've got a special road crew or convention game coming up, let us know. We're happy to help you spread the word, and I'll throw a little... A nudge out there that GaryCon is coming up on March 3rd. So we hope to see you there. And as always, we hope you've heard something in this show that inspires you. And thanks for listening. So have a great night, guys. Good night. Later. Thank you. Goodbye. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum podcast. Join us again in two weeks' time when the Sanctum Secorum reopens to study Lynn Carter's The Life of Heaven. Sanctum Secorum Podcast has been a production of Sanctum Media. Copyright 2015.